Welcome to the New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, the New Mind Creator. Today, I'll be interviewing Eric Sims. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you'll receive alerts when new episodes are available on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, please leave me a review on iTunes or Spotify. How were you able to change your mindset? Yeah, I, I, I think there was. So initially it was I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just knew I didn't want to be the way I was before. Right. There's that, that kind of thing. And so I didn't know anything about subconscious, conscious. I, I, I didn't know much about religion. I didn't know much about anything. I, what I was very familiar with was all the stuff that I'd done to screw up. I was real familiar with that. And so a lot of it early on was just like, don't do that stuff anymore. <laughs> the way you think, the way you talk, the way you act, everything. So I went, I went to a, a bit of an extreme because I, I became uh, addicted to like recovery, right? And, and to principally based uh, stuff that was more constructive. Uh, it wasn't, it still wasn't healthy. It was just a healthier version of what I've been doing because, um, mentally i was still kind of doing a lot of the same behaviors there was no middle ground everything was all or nothing um there was still a lot of the same pain points but as time progressed um i as i started looking at you know how i worked and how i ticked and continue to read and educate myself and work with different people and listen to different topics um i was able to pick up some different skill sets and tick uh i wouldn't say tricks but just skills uh from a mental standpoint i think a lot of the subconscious stuff um, I was able to reprogram quite a bit from, uh, you know, the background automated type stuff, uh, by changing my belief system, um, and then staying all over my thought life. I, I really focused on the words that were coming out of my mouth and the thoughts that were going on in my head and the actions that I did and what was actually driving that. Uh, I did spend a lot of time each day just looking at that and trying to figure out how do I reprogram that and and focusing on new statements, new beliefs, new actions and like that new cycle um, on a regular basis. And I had to be very calculated with it. I, I, you know, I would map stuff out and look at it and say like, OK, this this thought creates this feeling. This feel, feeling can create this belief and this action. Right. OK, that's what I want to do. So I've got to start following that pattern. Uh, and I did that religiously for a long time and some of it worked real well and some of it didn't. But um, I think the areas where it really worked well initially were around some of the drugs and alcohol and uh, self-medicating things. The, the other piece was I uh, after a little bit of time, I started to look at things a little bit differently myself and said, listen, you know, you've been clean for a little bit. But you still don't love yourself and you've got to look at what are the thoughts and things that you believe and say to yourself in the background. Uh, you know, what's running in the background that keeps telling you that you don't like yourself and there's something wrong with you. Um, and so I had to do that excavation again and get to a place uh, where I was much more comfortable with myself. I'll say that I think the biggest thing that I started doing that really impacted that was meditation. Um, I had done meditative prayer and that helped a lot. But when I got into real just meditation, I noticed a huge swing in the in that 
kind of background noise or uh, changes in me and my ability to make changes in my thoughts and actions on the forefront, like in the conscious level. So could you describe a simplistic way to do med- meditation for people who, who are listening? Yeah, I think, you know, starting out, it was really hard um, because just quiet. That's when I realized like, wow, there's still a lot scrambling on here. Cause I'd sit down and meditate and my brain was just like all over the place. Um, so I, 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 I started with just, uh, I actually bought a device, a, a friend of mine that I met in recovery. We were doing a lot of stuff together. We bought a, a device called the muse. Um, and it was, it kind of gamified meditation. It, it, it tracks your brain activity in a place and place it plays meditative music in your ear and you can hear different sounds. And those are indicators of whether your brain activity is picking up or slowing down. But what it did was it taught me at some level how to turn things off a little bit and just be present and not have to think or figure or do things. Um, and so in that process, and it was a practice. It, I, did, I did do it just like I'd done other things every day. It started for five minutes and then it went to 10 minutes. Then it went to probably eight <laughs> Then it went to 10. Then it went 15. Then it went to 20 and then it went to 30 and then it went to like an hour. Um, and so now I can lay down and meditate, uh, you know, on call whenever I feel like it or on demand, I should say. And, uh, but it was, it was a practice I had to habitually learn how to do. So was it a natural progression in the time you spent doing it? Cause I know you said you started out at five and you know, 1530. And because I know some people are afraid of the noise because once you, that's our life, our life is not in the engagement necessarily of others and uh, TV and all these different pacifiers that we have. But when we are alone, that's our true self. And a lot of times people try to run away from that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I mean, and that's what I realized when I sat down to do that the first time I was like, this is really as busy as I've been trying to work on reprogramming myself and doing all this other stuff. And it was good. Right. It helped. I was like, I still, spend an enormous amount of time trying to keep myself so busy that I don't have to spend time with the one person that I need to spend time with. And so that was why I realized like you had the reason you haven't fallen in love with yourself is you don't freaking know yourself. You think you do, you know, a version of you, another, this is again, you've created another version of you based on Jesus and who, well, all this other stuff you've been involved with, right. Which is, could be, it's, it's a better version because the version's not committing crimes and doing drugs, but it's not you. And so I, once I started meditating, it was, it was like, that was the person that I had to start spending time with. And you have to get really quiet and learn to be really quiet and be okay with that quote quiet. I guess it'd be, it's, it's really uncomfortable at first because it's like, this is what I've been avoiding. Right. Like this is the this is the contact that I've been avoiding for some reason. But at the same time, once you do it, you're like, oh, my God, that was the best time I've spent. You know, that five minutes was the best five minutes I spent in 10 years. Yes, I agree, because I love meditation myself. What how do you can you describe the feeling that you have when you meditate? Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I've thought about that. Like, how do you articulate this? It's, I don't want to say floating cause it's not the right word. It, it is, um, 
it's I would say I feel like a total release and a a lim a, a, probably a limitless feeling. It, it just I I feel like you know it's like everything goes away, but nothing goes away kind of thing. Like it's just it's such a peaceful and like I use the word zen, but it's just such a great great moment to connect to your infinite self like that and like let everything else just go away it's i don't want to say euphoric either but it can be it's just man i don't, I don't know that it's a it's i said it's a great question i don't know how, what the word is but it's it's better than awesome <laughs> so i agree i agree do you so now do you remember when the moment or time frame when you decided to become a performance coach and what was your motivation to becoming a coach? It, it's been a, it's been a process since I got in recovery. So when I got in recovery, you know, the, one of the things, one of my first uh, sponsors told me was, you know, you need to talk more cause I was real quiet. And I said, you know, what have I got to say? You know? And he's like, yeah, I remember you might've been here 30 days, but there's a guy that's been here 30 minutes and, and, and the Delta between his 30 minutes and your 30 days is valuable to him. He needs to know about it. And so I was like, at whatever reason, I was like, yeah, that's a really, that is, that's a very powerful perspective. Like, you know, to share, you know, whatever your experience is, it doesn't mean I have to tell people what to do. Uh, and so I started doing that. And then I got, I really enjoyed that. It was just so awesome to be able to share and have other people share their experience with me. Uh, and then it progressed to a place where, you know, I was a sponsor. I had some sponsees. Uh, and then as I got in Celebrate Recovery, I ended up uh, you know, launching a ministry at the church I was at uh, as a Celebrate Recovery ministry, as a ministry leader. So then that catapulted into doing some quasi-counseling, pastoral counseling, and also I was an addiction specialist counselor for the Salvation Army uh, at their men's treatment center for a while at night um, because I just wanted to give back to guys that were coming in. Um, that was probably my first paid gig, That in the church, and then the church eventually hired me too. So for a while, I was a pastor at a church working as a recovery ministry, a life recovery ministry there, and then doing the uh, addiction specialist at the Salvation Army Men's Treatment Center. And so uh, that was like that for a while, which was coaching, you know, is really what it was. And, um, and then it progressed to a point where I kept doing that, but I moved out of the church scene. I kind of progressed past that. I don't mean that condescendingly. Just for me, it was just I moved, moved beyond it. Um, and then I did some coaching for free cause I enjoyed it. And then I decided one day, I was like, you know what, there's the, what I'm able to provision now through my career life and, and recovery is of value to people. And I had people that were willing to pay for it. So I was like, I should make this a, a business, you know, and, and profit from it, uh, by doing what I love to do and what I feel like I'm good at. Uh, and it also at the same time, it helps people. So uh, that was kind of the evolution of how that came about. Great. So have you always had a real strong work ethic? I no. Well, I mean, I, I look at my life in, in, in two phases, like pre pre being like straightened out. I, I no, but there was so much in the way. Maybe I did. I just, you know, I was so scared to do anything. I, I self-sabotage so much um on everything that i would destroy everything before i even got it to the point where it was successful um afterwards though i've always had a real strong work ethic I, because i view everything as 
um, an accumulation of self. And so uh, there's not, you know, my life, whether I'm working hard as a dad or working hard as an employee or an employer or an entrepreneur or a coach, it's just an accumulation of, an ex- maybe a better word is expansion of uh, this experience that we get to have. So I love working at that, you know, um, I enjoy it. Right. So I know you have uh, several companies. What, what are the names of your companies? Yeah. So my, um, well, my wife has her own company. So she has her, she does survival swim uh, for children. So she teaches children survival swims. We almost lost my son to a drowning incident when he was two. And so she made that her life passion. So she does that. So I, I have very little to do with that, but I do help. Um, she's the rock star in that area. And then uh, we have my coaching and consulting business that I have, which is Sims Coaching and Consulting, where uh, I do life coaching, executive coaching, career coaching. And then we do uh, consultative work with companies where we go in and do uh, team builds or workshops or seminars and things like that. And we do some one-off seminars as well. Where, uh, we're planning one now for the beginning of the year where we'll do a kickoff uh, seminar for uh, 2020 for individuals for, for career and life type thing. Um, and then I have uh, another company that I started about a year and a half ago. I, I, my my uh, job during all this was I, I went to work at a call center while I was in treatment because I needed a job. And I started just on the phones making like eight bucks an hour and um, stayed with the same company for about 10 years until I moved into an executive position with them, uh, which awarded me the opportunity to learn the business inside out. Plus, I was you know, kept a job for 10 years, which was unheard of historically for me. Um, and eventually I was like, you know what, this is something I really want to do. And I saw some contrast in how people were operating in the uh, business world in this industry. And I was like, I'd like to do something a little bit different. So I started a company called um, Leading Edge Connections. And uh, Leading Edge Connections is a, a, a 100% virtual um, work at home call center for agents. So they can work, all the agents work at home. Uh, with a mission to uh, really connect with small businesses, small to medium-sized businesses, uh, provisioning stuff like customer service and sales and technical support and back office support, um, and and doing that in a way that really keeps us on the leading edge of what's possible for uh, not only our brand, but the brands that we work with. Yeah, I definitely say you have a strong work ethic to be associated with these businesses. <laughs> Yeah, because not many people are able to, you know, put in that dedication and you sound really dedicated. Did you have a role model when you were growing up? Was there anyone that you kind of emulated or aspire to become? Well, (laughs) growing up, it was probably like Scarface or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, and so, yes, I became, you know, like the people I always, and that was another thing when I got clean, I was like, you know, I became exactly what I like dreamed about. It was just, mm-hmm. I dreamed about envisioned myself as a bad guy and as a, you know, drug dealer and all that kind of stuff. And so I, 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 I accomplished all those dreams. Um, and <laughs> so I just reset dreams and look at things and say like, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a law of attraction guy now a little bit. And so I'm like, you know, it's, it's about. If you put, if you get a vision for something, you get clear on it, whether stuff comes to you, you bring it to yourself or you acquire it. That's all debatable, but it happens a lot of times. Right. Um, and so for me, it was like getting clear on what do you want now? 
and, and how do you go get that now? So my, my role models after I got clean are very clear. Uh, early on, as a guy, uh, my pastor at first, there's a guy named David Towner. He's a pastor of a church here in Tampa. Um, he was my mentor for a long time because I wanted a successful marriage and I wanted to be a, a good human being. That was extremely important to me. And I, in my mind at that point in time, there was nobody on earth that um, emulated that more than that guy did. And so, and we're still friends to this day. I had lunch with him the other day. Um, so I, I followed him around and, you know, like a puppy dog, just watching everything he did. And then um, when it comes to finances and some other stuff, I've been very fortunate. Uh, my father-in-law, I ended up remar remarrying, um, a very successful businessman, um, I admire him immensely on uh, the work he's done, but he's one of those rags to riches stories, you know, came from nothing uh, and accumulated an, a, a good amount of wealth through hard work and, and, and doing things correctly. And so I've always used him uh, as a financial person for myself uh, to emulate. And then uh, another guy named Mike De Silva that I was introduced by my father-in-law um, as uh, another guy that I've been able to, leverage in my life. So those are some ro big role models for me. Once I got cleaned up, you know, um, there's some other smaller ones along the way. Cause what I learned was, you know, find people who are experts in the areas you want to be expert, an expert in and, you know, find out how they did it. You know, what did they do? It doesn't mean I have to do everything the exact same way they did it, but they have a successful model. I need to at least look at it and learn from it. Um, and so that's helped me immensely in, in my uh, process. So you talked about, you know, wanting to have a successful marriage. So but was it difficult for you to even allow yourself to love and be loved, considering just the path and the things that you had to go through? Oh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, my my wife met me before I got cleaned up, um, not right before. And um, so she and I did a lot of the early recovery stuff together. You know, she, she was willing to put aside a lot of stuff, including drinking and a lot and just anything, uh, and come on that adventure with me. And, um, so it's, it was a, you know, it's a relearning of everything. Like everything was tainted, right? Like how I communicated, how I expressed love and affection, how I needed to receive love and affection was completely jacked up. So that's been a, a very long journey for us and um, relearning all that in a way that is and, and, and some of the stuff, again, going to the subconscious, you, you don't realize some of the areas that are pre-programmed and messed up until it causes a problem. And then you look at it and go, why? Well, you know, this isn't normal. Um, you know, like, you know, we, we had intimacy issues uh, because. It's strangely enough, you got people that are married to each other, but you know, I, I didn't know how to pursue a, a, a woman sexually in a healthy way. So I had to relearn all that, but I didn't, I wasn't even aware that that was a problem until it kind of came up, you know, and like this, in, in a conversation of like, well, you never, you never come after me. And I'm like, well, I didn't, you know, I, hell, I don't know. I mean, this is the way it's always been, you know, and then you kind of take a check and look at it and say like, oh, that's part of the part of the dysfunction from before that's made its way still in here. Wow. That's amazing. So what would you say to people who may be in the middle of their addiction right now? What would you say to them? In the middle of their, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, 
I don't know, to be honest with you. When someone's in the middle of their addiction, um, I think that, you know, one of the things I would say to them is, you know, you, you are loved. And um, we, you know, there's people that love you. I think that's a good thing. People hear they, 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 a lot of times people hear that or think that people don't love them. And so um, it's unfortunate. Addiction's a weird thing, man. Like I, I, I've, I, I've yet to see very many people come out of addiction that without some type of major traumatic event take place. Um, and in the rooms, they say, you know, jails, institutions and death. Um, and I, I haven't been able to see anybody who can uh, artificially create that either. Um, so when someone's in the middle of it, it's just, you know, without enabling them, it's, you know, love them. I love you. Um, and you've got to, it's, it's sad to say, like, you almost have to let it run its course without it damaging the people that like, if you're around it, you've got to remove yourself from the situation until the train wrecks over. Mm, yeah. So they have to come to a realization or rock bottom, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when people are ready, you can do, I mean, I've been involved with interventions and stuff like that, but, uh, it's, it's a low percent success rate. It's very low. And I, I just, you know, when people are ready, when, when they get, you know, it's like they say, when they get sick and tired of being sick and tired or when something finally happens, they'll make the change. And the key is, is just to, you know, be there to love on them and in the way they need. Sometimes that's tough love, you know, for a lot of family members, it's, you know, cutting off ties, kicking them out, whatever it is, you know, leaving the situation, leaving the marriage. Um, but for that person in the middle of it, I think the only thing you can say to them is, man, I love you. Because nothing else is going to change their mind. You're not going to convince them to not be an addict. Right. So good. That's a good distinction. So how, what, how would you respond to someone who is in a place, they have gotten to a place and they feel like they are at rock bottom. And because you've had to face that yourself, like financial ruin. And how, what would you say to them? Yeah, I, I would, you know, what I'd say is, you know, there's, there's always, I think the most empowering thing was, is, and if you can accept this is if you can accept the fact that you created everything that you've experienced so far, then you can create anything you want moving forward. And it's just a matter of getting clear on that. And so uh, for people that are coming out of that, the big thing that we focus on with them when they're coming out of any room, whether it's a, a divorce or whether it's addiction or whatever, where you feel like your life's just been turned upside down and you're, you've lost it, right, is getting hyper, hyper clear on who you are and loving that. And from that, understanding what you want um, and spending a lot of time with this. I had a conversation with a a girl that I coach that's just finished, you know, going through a divorce the other day. And, uh, you know, one of the things I told her, I said, I learned this in the religious setting well, I was like, but you know, I said, the reason that, that, uh, a lot of the stuff in the religious setting is so powerful is, is that it gives people a mental perspective when they're going through, a, you know, a, a really terrible situation. There's this thing like, well, you know, one day I get to go to heaven. Right. And I was like, well, that is, is a vision of a better future. That's what that is. I said, without getting too religious or theological on it, let's just pretend we all agree for a minute. It's a vision of an ultimate future that is exact where everything's great. And so what happens when you have a clear vision of an ultimate future where everything's great is it enables you to deal with the current moment in a different way. So if you can create a moment in the future 
that you see yourself in where you're happy, then you can start reverse engineering a life where you can get there. Wow, that's powerful because I'm thinking about the law of inverse transformation, right? So that's that's in the Bible as well. So you, as you said, you get the picture of what you want to uh, achieve and want to have like it's in the present tense. Mm -hmm. And somehow our lives will orchestrate itself to get us to that end destination because that's how we were created anyway. Because oftentimes we think about the things we don't want to experience and then end up experiencing those things yep. because the mind cannot tell the difference. The brain cannot tell the difference between what is real and what is imagined. Yep. It, right. it, 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 you, it responds just the same. I use the example. I said, have you ever daydreamed to the point where you like all of a sudden came out of it and you had goosebumps or you felt like you were in that place and there, you know, and most everybody will say, yeah, that's all that is. All you're doing is, and then you already know how to do it. You just, you do it un, unconsciously. And then what you've got to do is learn how to teach yourself how to do that on a regular basis consciously. So I said the mechanisms are already there for all of us. And so, but you've got a very valid point because as long as I'm focused on what I don't want to happen, I'm still focused on what I don't want to happen. Yes. Not what I want to happen. And that's a huge disconnect for a lot of people is, is because of the way we're conditioned is that even when we start talking about what we really want, we get so stuck on the contrast of what we don't like that we don't focus on what we really want. The contrast is just there to show us what we want. That's all it is. It's, it's, it's there to say like, Hey, you don't like this. Great. It's not, don't hang out on what you don't like. I'm just trying to show you what you don't have to look at anymore. Focus on what you do like. I built a company like that. The, the, the reason I built the leading edge connections, the way I did was I, I was in a meeting with a friend of mine and we were complaining about the industry we were in. I, and I stopped it and said, great. I got a whiteboard out. I said, let's write everything down on the board that we hate about this industry. We wrote it all down. I said, that's all the contrast. So this is all the stuff we're not going to do. We're not going to look at it. We're not going to focus it on. So what's left? And then we made a list of what was left. And I said, there's our new company. Wow. That's a powerful analogy to make. I mean, that was really clear. And to be able, I'm sure it changed the course of things by you all doing that. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, 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 uh, and, and that's the part where you, where you just practice and learn is, is when you can learn to do that, everything's beneficial, right? It's like, you know, when you, when we see stuff we don't like, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's telling us something. We've been conditioned to think that certain feelings and certain things aren't good. It's just they're indicators. We're not supposed to camp out with them. It's like when something hurts, like it's an indicator. Don't, don't touch that. Right. So if you feel guilt, um, it just, it's an indicator. It's not like don't hang out there all day. It's an indicator. What's going on? I need to look at something a little bit differently or do something a little bit differently. So um, same thing when you move into a business practice. True. Wow. This has been a wonderful interview. I've definitely enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for listening to The New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, The New Mind Creator. This podcast has been sponsored by Abundant Sports and True Serum. Head over to www.mauriceflornary.com to receive more motivation and insight to help create your new mind.